0: WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Good morning and welcome to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host. And today, the business at hand is the business of the planned environment and the built environment, about horticultural environments. Because for thousands of years, uh, dating back to the uh, gardens of Babylon and the parks that were created. Uh, more recently, in cities throughout the United States, by Frederick Law Olmsted. Landscaping has been an art, and it's been an art for all these centuries, but in more recent decades, it's become more of a science. And going back to the ancient Persians, the Egyptians, the European monarchs, and up through today with modern developers. They have all contributed to the field of landscape architecture as a modern combined discipline of art and science, and that art and that science supports the creation of not just aesthetic environments, but environments which are sustainable and healthy, particularly in urban settings. Uh, Those healthy, sustainable landscaped environments are the subject of today's business, and I'm very pleased to have as my guest, Mario Cambardella Cambernette- of Urban Environments and also Urban Agricultural uh, Inc. And so, welcome to the Business Hour, Mario.
2: A pleasure to be here. Thank you, Ron. Um,
1: let's let's start off with a uh, a big picture uh, uh, description of uh, landscape architecture, and have you tell us a little bit about. Um, how that field has uh, come to involve the things that I alluded to um, where we're talking about combining art and architecture and engineering and horticulture and gardening and ecology, environmental science, and even public policy because without public policy and funding, we should probably throw economics in there, Mm -hmm. um, we we wouldn't have uh, the discipline of uh, landscape architecture. But let's talk a little bit about – the evolution of landscape architecture. Yeah. So, you know, again, and and uh, you might even go back to um, your your studies at the University of Georgia, um, which is where it was formalized uh, and structured for you. But uh, you must have taken courses uh, related to each of those areas. Is that would that be correct?
2: Absolutely. Um- first time i ever heard of the built environment was at the university of georgia professor bill mann in the course history of the built environment um before that i you know what it is and you recognize it i I always recognized at an early age that i loved places that allowed me to walk up a trail hiking parks the beach um uh, beautiful city centers their plazas But I didn't understand that there was an art and science to all those things. And the amount of effort and study and research and creativity that went into making those places as great as they are, um, there was a whole discipline behind that. And that discipline is landscape architecture.
1: The... um the, the combination of all those different uh, fields that we talked about, and, and again, I'm, I'm going to repeat that uh, uh, we're talking about art and architecture, engineering, horticulture, gardening, ecology, environmental science, and, and, and public policy and, and economics, uh, are what go uh, into um, the quote-unquote built environment. and. Uh, that's a term that that I had learned many years ago, and and obviously you had focused on it I- I initially in uh, actual coursework. But it's something that a lot of people don't give a lot of thought to and and you talked about how you know you always enjoyed a, a nice park and 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 walking a trail uh that in some cases was part of a a a planned and designed a park-like setting and and one of the sub themes today will will to help listeners think about the built environment, if, if if only one or two people come away from today's program and views the world in a different way, mm-hmm. particularly public settings, and particularly those areas which have gardens or landscaped uh, elements to that that public space, you know, our work will have been done. Because I too had a couple of professors in school um, under the guise of uh, environmental design that helped me um, see elements that had been designed and constructed to be a part of a planned environment a built environment a built world uh, and 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 use the word places you know I always liked places that I could go mm-hmm. and, and 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 experience um, these environments uh, thinking about places and spaces and the role that the uh, landscape architect uh, plays that that's that's one of the sub-themes uh, for today's program. You know, we have relied on commercial developers and, and home builders uh, to incorporate this into their projects uh, and more recently we have thought about those environments in terms of being healthier um, or viable um, sustainable uh, and we've come to realize that they're also more marketable and mm-hmm. um, I believe you and I were both at a uh, a dinner uh, last year uh, where Ed McMahon of the Urban Land Institute uh, talked about the value, uh, for example, of green space and how rather than just have a a golf course and there's nothing against golf courses um, uh, which cater to a a small percentage of the population. Developers came to realize that if you took a, um, a space and created it as a as a green space, and you didn't necessarily build a golf course, that just like a golf course, the value of the home surrounding that green space also uh, went up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and that you had many more, thousands more, uh, a much higher percentage of people uh, being able to uh, take advantage of uh, of. Those environments, and in fact, I want to jump right into a, a, a current project that you're working on in Warner Robins, uh, here in the state of Georgia, um, which uh, seems to embody a lot of what we just talked about, if not everything we just talked about. Th- tell us about
2: that project. Sure, um, it's uh, entitled Heritage Park at Walker Pond. It was uh, the land was formerly owned by Mayor um, Homer Walker, who sold the land to the city to enable this park, and um, about 90% of the space is is, um, taken up by this pond, Um, what the city identified that they needed a passive recreational park. And so you can imagine some of the best football teams in high school Georgia come from Warner Robins. These high school teams are amazing. And they have active recreational parks all over the city. Active recreation is anything with a ball baseball, basketball, anything like that. Passive recreational parks or that's where you can walk on the trail. That's where you can really get under the shade of a beautiful tree. Those are those types of things that you can do in a passive recreational Maybe even incorporate a body of water. Absolutely. Scenic, bird watching, those types of things that don't require a ball, maybe binoculars, that's the, the, the real meaning of the passive recreational park. So they identified the need of their passive recreational park. They had an asset here with the land, with the generous um, selling of this land, and they said that we want to do, we want to create a place where people can walk, exercise, bird watch, um, remember, um, and that's a that's a key thing because uh, again, this is the heritage park. So we're going to have in the park places of remembrance of some of the founders of that town. Of the city of Warner Robins, so um, it's going to be uh, quite a, a, a new, innovative park for the for the citizens of Warner Robins.
1: You know, in in some sense, even though this doesn't fall into the context of a mixed use development, um, it could if you were to incorporate a uh, a commercial and a residential component on the periphery of this park. All of a sudden, you'd have a massive mixed use um, development. But as park-like settings go, it it has uh, mixed use um, even though it's not an active park uh, as a passive park uh, it just becomes, as you said, a place where you could go and sit on a park bench or go for a jog. Absolutely. Uh, And and it also has
2: environmental benefits as well. Across the street um, a major regional hospital is taking over a failed supermarket shopping center and so uh, right across the street you're going to have literally dozens if not hundreds of nurses and doctors that could utilize this park on a lunch break to just walk around to even to promote to their patients hey you need to go out there and walk you need to get some exercise you need to get some fresh air here's a wonderful asset for really increasing the health of not just the residents that can walk to this park or drive to this park but also all these patients that may be coming in from the region that can see uh, feel touch nature and also get that physical exercise that maybe they need.
1: Yeah, that's that's a that's a, a perfect complement to what they're doing, uh, personal health wise. Uh, and I I really can see it adding to uh, as we talked about the value of all the properties surrounding um, the project. In fact, um, the um, the benefits are, are are multiple, and I can see that Warner Robins will probably be able to use this as one of the Um, the hallmarks uh, for the city moving forward. I mean, much like any city, I mean, you know, when you think about New York City, uh, Central Park is a really crucial aspect of what makes Manhattan Mm -hmm. uh, a a desirable place to visit. You know, when I go to New York City, I try uh, to spend a little time walking through um, Central Park, uh, taking advantage of some section uh, of Central Park, if only to uh, go to the uh, uh, one of the gardens, um, hang out uh, at one of the ponds, um, go to the uh, Rose Planetarium, and then take a, a walk. Um, but I could see that this park would play a, a, a crucial um, part in in, in in making Warner Robins a more uh, attractive environment. Um, I want to I want to switch now to something that is uh, related but 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 different, and that is that. Recently, around the country, uh, and and on this program, we had a couple of different hydrologists, geophysicists, um, Dr. John Tracy, the uh, president of the American Water Resources Association, and we had Dr. Robert Mace of the Texas Water Resources Board talking about uh, drought conditions uh, around the nation and, and the role of managing water resources. Um, Drought is one of those um, aspects of an environment that that may require different kind of uh, planning, environmental planning, um, architectural uh, landscaping. Tell us a little bit about, does this property incorporate um, horticulture, for example, uh, that is maybe a little more drought- Tolerant, and, and if not this project, tell us about maybe some projects uh, that you have uh, focused on recently that, that do have uh, vegetation or aspects, and, and we'll drill down for just a moment into this.
2: Uh, sure. I want to touch on the drought uh, thing for a moment. But um, out west, the annual rainfall is decreasing. Um, the, the liberal use of water for lawns is becoming expensive. We need the water for, for human uses, yes, but not maybe watering lawns. Well, for in many cases, for
1: agriculture, just to contribute to the economy of of regions of the
2: country, uh, mm-hmm. you know, California and Texas in Absolutely. particular. In Georgia, some scientists are projecting that we're going to get more rainfall in the coming years, which even makes it a more challenge for us because our cities are growing so fast. The square footage of impervious surfaces are rising. Impervious surface being parking lots, everything where water can't soak into the ground. So here we have maybe an opposite problem, where we have so much water, so much rainfall, so much water moving into these areas and and potentially causing flooding issues. So we have those. We have the a, a different set of problems here. What we have found out that using native vegetation, um, non aggressive. Um, and using native vegetation is more drought tolerant. So, pushing in that direction for all the seeds, for all the uh, horticultural plantings, we found we can use uh, less water for irrigation needs, and um, plants survive on their own just a little bit um, better than than the non-native.
1: We're um, we're going to take a break here. Um and when we come back, let's talk still a little bit more about um, drought-tolerant uh, landscape architecture. And uh, you can tell us a little bit about native versus uh, non-native species and the role that that plays. Because I think that's something that a lot of people are interested in. We're here with Mario Camberdella. And we'll be back with Mario to talk more about urban architecture and environmental
3: planning and landscape architecture right after this break. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
4: Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like.
0: Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy. Only on America's Web
1: Radio. The United States Justice Foundation since 1979 has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the US Senate on all but one US Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution.
0: This is America's com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Mario Camperdalla, who is a. Professional landscape architect, a member of the Association or the American Society of Landscape Architects, and who is also an urban architectural environmental uh, planner, uh, as well as a landscape architect and a uh, urban agriculturalist. And we'll get into some of those areas in just a bit. But before the break, we were talking about designing environments, uh, particularly in drought-stricken regions. And, and Mario pointed out that that here in the southeast. We, we have a different uh, problem um, than uh, in the West um, uh, Texas I might point out has actually both a, a problem with drought uh, in, in more northern regions except where the aquifers are are, are uh, better replenished and uh, and then flooding which everyone is aware of you know in and around the, the southern parts of of Texas and so they Actually, have to accommodate um, both conditions, and in some cases, I, I, I believe that's done through um, water retention techniques, reservoirs, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's one of the things that, that you had mentioned before today's program to me of, of ways of uh, accommodating uh, water retention mm-hmm. uh, other than just a quote unquote reservoir. But before we talk about that, let's let's just touch again on this notion of native species versus non-native species and of course there are people who are very adamant about uh, why uh, we should focus strictly on native species and how that is healthier uh, for an environment and uh, uh, how non-native species uh, are less healthy for the environment um, but um, you and I both know that it's taken millions of years for uh, uh, the movement of uh, seeds through the air and uh, non-native species invative, invading environments uh, and perfectly coexisting. So I I I, I, I ask you, um, can non-native species and native species peacefully coexist?
2: Absolutely. In the context of a residential, say a residential landscape design, um, you know I try to promote maybe one or two specimen non-natives. It's to give um, sort of a sense of interest. Um, And I do vet those species, those plant species, to make sure that they're not invasive, which means basically they could take over um, an ecosystem, Uh, say bamboo, for instance. People love bamboo here. Um, Well, I shouldn't generalize that way, but um, some of my clients love bamboo, and they want me to plant it, and as a responsible professional, I, I have to warn them about the risk of this bamboo, not only taking over their yard, but their neighbor's yard. And not only their neighbor's yard, maybe the cold neighborhood. Uh, what that does is it can disrupt or destroy some environments that some of the local plants and animals depend on. So um, there is a sense of responsibility when planting non-natives. Um, however, there is a place for it. Um, it just has to be used wisely.
1: You mentioned bamboo. Uh, recently, um, I, I, I saw a, um, a setting where um, uh, bamboo was used um, along a walkway and very carefully controlled w- uh, through a combination of... Uh, uh, concrete and rocks. Uh, and so I guess the key to is that you have to stay on top of it. You have to keep it from from uh, a- encroaching uh, on the adjacent uh, soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and a classic example of a non-native species that's out of control probably would be kudzu.
2: Kudzu and even another um, really habitat killer is called privet
1: privet, yes, which is kind of a uh, an ivy-like, uh, or kind of a cross between an ivy and a kudzu maybe?
2: No, it's more of an upright shrub. It is an upright shrub, and it's found in our Georgia forest all over, and um, many of the backyards. Um, Ligustrum chenensis came from China, and it has really uh, disrupted some of the sensitive ecosystems that we have in many of our backyards and uh, basically urban forests, too, so...
1: Let me ask you about uh, a couple of species in particular or, 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 or maybe in general because I'm, I'm, there are subspecies um, of these plants. But uh, would an example of a non-native uh, species that can peacefully coexist and doesn't require as uh, intensive management be something like Japanese maples maybe and cherry trees?
2: Uh, it could. Very well could be that specimen that you put in your landscape to draw attention to that's really not going to be overly aggressive to the local ecosystem. So that could be a very viable option for you. You,
1: you don't often hear of uh, uh, cherry trees or uh, Japanese maples, but I could be wrong, um, proliferating um, all on their own, or, or does it happen? I mean, can, can a, a, a couple of uh, Japanese maple trees um, start to Absolutely,
2: multiply? absolutely. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah.
1: And would that happen with cherry trees as well? I mean, I, yes, I don't.
2: Absolutely. Oh, okay. Propagation. Um, one of the trees that is um, really on the invasive list is Bradford pear. That's one that has you, you'll see in a recently cleared field. You may see in springtime or late spring or, or early summer the blooms of the Bradford pear, and that's spreading wild all over, and it's really become a problem
1: a beautiful tree that's actually become a problem. Let's let's turn to this um, aspect of uh, environments where there is some uh, attention to horticulture, which uh, requires a little less water, or accommodating um, higher precipitation levels. Um, You had mentioned to me uh, before the program about ways of designing and landscaping um, where you can uh, create um, a combination of berms and uh, uh, the equivalent of maybe small uh, reservoirs, uh, and that may not be the term. But tell us a little bit about how you can design for uh, retaining water retention.
2: Sure. In lieu of a traditional irrigation plan or irrigation system, you can um, do things a little bit more uh, Passively, And passive irrigation systems uh, really shape and mold the earth to retain or detain, uh, is the other word, to some of this water and moisture for the, the health of your plants. That's shaping into, with small berms, small swales, um, to slow down the, the energy of water and to keep it on your site as long as possible.
1: A technique that um, I, I believe has become uh, more popular, I don't know how prevalent it is, but I have heard about it being uh, used in some uh, developments, and that would be along with more pervious uh, street surfaces or surfaces in general, uh, ways of collecting water uh, right at the street level, um, a combination of of cells, tell us a little bit about uh, the role that that technique plays, and have you been involved in helping to design any uh, projects where uh, this permeable uh, water collection technique uh,
2: has been incorporated into the streets? Absolutely, um, we all know that the the importance and the need for trees in our urban environments. Uh, stand under a tree on a hot day stand outside of that tree in uh, the shade of that tree on a hot day you can tell the ambient temperature is so much lower and and really it, it helps our cities breathe better uh, it helps us breathe in the cities better as well so what we need to do is we need to recharge all that groundwater or uh, basically recharge that ground with water and how we do that is with them uh, with pervious surfaces um Many parking lots are now going to more pervious surfaces, so that they can develop larger, healthier trees in their parking lots. Uh, oftentimes, you see uh, trees planted in a big parking lot, and the trees are stunted. Uh, they might have planted an oak, but it's only twenty feet high. One of the reasons why is because they have an impervious surface, an asphalt surface, where the gr- the water can't recharge the ground. It, it's it's sucking off the. It's basically cutting off the root systems. So a pervious system allows those root systems to extend over the parking lot. Water goes through the hard material that we drive on and goes into the ground system, and it recharges that groundwater uh, areas and allows those trees to grow really tall and big. So that's one of the classic examples right now in urban design. Well,
1: along with um, helping trees that have been planted um, or that were... uh, Left and not uh, eliminated from a, a given development uh, to stay healthier. Are we going to see more impervious surfaces rather than slabs of concrete or asphalt? Because it hasn't been too readily apparent to me on the commercial uh, uh, level, but I have seen residences that are incorporating impervious, or rather, pervious surfaces. Uh, into uh, the designs of, of uh, their properties, um, where instead of just uh, a driveway that is uh, concrete, there might be a more uh, pervious surface. And and for listeners out there who've never seen this, you know it's it's a combination of brickwork or rockwork that that allows uh, the water to seep through and and be retained on the property instead of running off and into a stormwater drain.
2: Right. Are we going to see more of that? Absolutely. Uh, Public policy is pushing that. The industry is headed that direction. There's more and more products uh, available for people that are are seeking those types of solutions. And there's also more people in the industry. Landscape architects are certainly uh, specifying that on the drawings or they're pushing that. And then also uh, people in the construction industry are becoming more and more aware of the building practices of those types of systems.
1: We're going to take a break. We're here with Mario Camberdella. We've been talking about various aspects of urban landscaping. Mario is a professional landscape architect. We'll be back with Mario right after this break.
0: Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today.
3: Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy, or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on americaswebradio.com.
0: From Doug Dahlgren, an action series that grabs you and won't let go. Four members of Congress all die within months. Each death appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary war heroes one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search uncovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun, Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, in Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com.
4: Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link.
0: This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Mario Camberdella. I'm Ron Camacho, your host. And we have been talking about landscape architecture, environmental planning, and before the break, we were talking about uh, designing environments where you are collecting water rather than losing water to uh, stormwater um, systems and You mentioned to me that that in fact, you were working on on one environment that was incorporating uh, the use of impervious surfaces. Uh, tell us a little bit about that.
2: Sure, we're talking about uh, you know, recharging the ground with water, and the the client in this particular case is residential home. They wanted to to have a driveway that was that was pervious. So they we came up we found a product. Um, it was a paver product that enabled um, water to run through the pavers and into the groundwater or into the ground and to recharge the groundwater system
1: and, and again for listeners out there who aren't familiar with uh, uh, the term pavers I mean we're talking about bricks with holes right. uh, or I mean, essentially you know uh, brick that is not solid laid uh, um, end to end so there's openings that water uh, can pass through uh, something that I myself am considering we have a combination of concrete and brick and I'm Thinking of uh, adding more uh, previous... uh
2: Yeah, quite simply, each brick on the side of each brick paver has a dimple. And those dimples uh, uh, allow a uniform space in between each paver. And in that space is um, what they call 89 stone, which is an aggregate, which is a small granite rock, and it's uniformed, and it's washed, and it's cleaned. And that, that allows into that gap. When rain comes, water runs through those rocks like a filter, filtering out all the little particulates that may have been washed out with a little bit of oil or anything from the car or people's shoes or whatever. So those rock filters act like a little sieve and will clean. And then as it goes into the groundwater system, it cleans even further, hopefully down to the aquifer where One day we may be drinking that water. So again, this is all about uh, retaining that water for future use.
1: Right on a small scale, you're talking about helping um, plants on your own property Mm -hmm. or in a given development to have water to to stay healthy, uh, to live longer. Uh, On a large scale, uh, one can only imagine that whole um, cities with uh, extensive use of permeable surfaces. Uh, are going to be healthier in general because the vegetation will just last longer. I mean, it's a, it it makes good economic sense, uh, right. and not to mention that aesthetically, uh, having the healthy plants uh, uh, and uh, the benefits of healthy plants, which help to uh, clean the air and, and help us breathe easier. So there there are multiple benefits. Um, can can properties uh, be Easily retrofit to incorporate some of these uh, techniques that you talked about. Uh, you had mentioned uh, before the program zero scaping and uh, and the use of cisterns uh, again versus um, conventional uh, water retention ponds. Um, have you been asked uh, to go in and retrofit uh, properties in this way?
2: Absolutely, on a small residential scale. Um- a 55-gallon barrel, or a 255-gallon barrel, or a 500-gallon barrel. I've done some of those small, little cistern projects for a uh, local residential project in Sandy Springs. Um, I've worked on some larger projects where the cistern was, I believe, a five, six thousand gallon tank at the Lovett Middle School. Lovett Middle School has a cistern collects rainwater from their rooftop, uses that rainwater to irrigate some of the plantings through a drip irrigation system. So I've gotten exposure on both the commercial and the residential side.
1: As far as you know, Mario, um, are the municipalities or the local jurisdiction in those situations providing incentives? I know that there are some cities uh, in Texas and in California in particular, um, they're providing uh, significant um Uh, incentives to, given the size of the cistern, the water collection system, uh, either through a system of tax credits or um, some other variation on that theme, uh, offer incentives to people to build in this way?
2: Right. You know, I believe uh, in our local area in, in Georgia, I believe at one time there was. I don't know if there any currently. Uh, I think it kind of moves with the <laughs> the climate. Uh, right now, we are not in a perceived drought by the public, so I don't, I don't know if there is any out there, but I could be mistaken. I'm not quite sure right now. You know, um, I,
1: I have been waiting for decades to see more and more, uh, or to see uh, environments which incorporate some of the same techniques, and even though I would not be familiar with all of the techniques that you as a professional are are utilizing in the design of uh, various uh, projects and, and, and uh, residential to commercial developments, but are there any examples in your opinion of um, projects that do uh, exemplify what might be considered best uh, um, landscape, architectural, uh, urban, agricultural uh, practices? Hmm.
2: I think the uh, I, short answer, yes. Um, to to Blue Heron Park in Sandy Springs is a great example of a passive recreational park that's also. A um, stormwater retention and, and a, really a preserve for um, a lot of wetland fowl. Um, you know, the Beltline is a great resource for a lot of new wave uh, urban design that really takes the ecology of the place into account. So, um, Pont City Market, there's tons of parks around there that have really exemplified some beautiful landscape architectural principles. Um, And again, you know, taking the local ecology into account. So, I mean, I think that's a good start. Um, And I think that, uh, you know, across the country, California, New York, San Diego, all these places are doing some amazing things. I think locally we're all uh, really trying. And I think we're looking at some of those other cities and seeing how they do it. And it's trickling down to us. And uh, but we really have some wonderful innovations in urban agriculture in the city of Atlanta. Recently, the mayor has announced the Trinity Avenue Farm competition right across the street from his office on Trinity Avenue. So I think there's a lot of a lot of interesting, fun, and creative uh, ways that landscape architects, urban planners, um, urban agriculturalists are really getting involved into some of the park process processes that were strictly landscape architects in the uh, historical past
1: you mentioned the Trinity Avenue urban farm project and I know that you worked as part of a team um, was it a group out of the uh, University of Georgia mm-hmm. program and um, where does that uh, that that project lie because if I'm not mistaken there was a uh, a contest uh, or at least that project was part of a contest for which there was a $25,000 prize, and that prize has not yet been awarded. Is that is that project just in limbo?
2: Two weeks ago, they awarded the prize. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and was it your team? It was our team. Excellent. It was our team. It was uh, Brian Barth, Will Towns, and myself, and uh, we were all students at the University of Georgia at the time. Will Towns had just uh, finished his degree. He was an uh, architect in training, and um, Brian Barth is an environmental planner. And um, the three of us came together, and with some help, some of the, with the help of some other students, um, for some of the production work, we put together a submission. It took the city three years to announce who the winner was. Creative Loafing did a wonderful article on, "Hey, let's let's get going. Let's go ahead and announce the winner." A week later, after that article, we got a call. We were the winner. Uh, we asked if it, when, if and when the project was going to be built. They said it was going to be built, so um, very excited to hear about that. And they said it would be built in the light of our submission. So we are very, very proud and pleased to hear that.
1: Well, congratulations! Thank you so uh, much. I mean that, that th- without question, um, that is absolutely uh, a good sign that a, in this case, uh, the mayor's office uh, for the city of Atlanta would uh, take upon uh, take it upon itself to uh, promote. Uh, urban agriculture um, with such a contest uh, a, a, they don't deserve a lot of credit for taking uh, so long uh, to uh, <laughs> award a, uh, right. a finalist but nevertheless the idea that they would entertain uh, the idea of converting a, uh, a space which was otherwise uh, being Bacon. vastly underutilized and, and vacant uh, right. and turn it into a, a more useful um, application of urban horticulture um, the that very term, urban horticulture, which is something that uh, is a part of your uh, professional uh, repertoire, uh, tell us uh, about what the implications of of urban order, urban horticulture uh, in applications like the Trinity Avenue Urban Farm uh, Project, uh, what that could mean for uh, for cities uh, around the country.
2: Sure. Um- I've always been around landscape for the last 10 years. I've been around landscapes and I always felt that like we could do it a little bit better. Um, but by better, I believe that uh, they can not only can look good, but they can be productive and to be productive. They could have fruits and vegetables that could cause some of the social ills that our society deals with and obesity and hunger and homelessness and, and joblessness. I think that our landscapes could be so much more. So our ideas for Trinity, everything that came out of that, was something that had been brewing inside me for uh, quite a long time, and Trinity Avenue was a platform for allowing those ideas to get out. And evidently, the city of Atlanta likes those ideas, too. So this is about a landscape that's going to be food-producing. It's going to be productive. It's going to have a return on our investment much more than just the pleasure garden, but it's also going to be a productive garden.
1: Multiple, multiple benefits to society.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk uh, a, a little more about landscape architecture and the uh, benefits to society. We're here with Mario Camberdella, an urban architectural horticulturist, environmental planner, landscape architect. We'll be back with Mario right after this break.
4: This is Michael Ganot with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like.
5: Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
0: This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Mario Campardella, a landscape architect, environmental planner, urban agriculturalist. And we've been talking about aspects of the planned environment that incorporate uh, horticulture uh, in such a way that it has benefits not just to a, a homeowner or a developer, uh, but to um Urban environment, a suburban environment, and 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 beyond, and um, we, in, in fact, there's there, there's a uh, an abbreviation HPPS that has been given to this uh, category uh, of uh, project that uh, is defined as any publicly accessible civic space that generates economic environmental and social sustainability benefits for a local community. And, and those are the projects that we have been talking about. Those mm-hmm. are the, the kinds of projects that, that you have been involved in. Um, in fact, there is a project that you envisioned uh, years ago uh, as an undergraduate student at the University of Georgia. You came up with a, uh, a concept for a, uh, a greenway uh, in your hometown of Sandy Springs, or what was at the time your hometown of Sandy Springs, uh, along a, a creek, uh, specifically Marsh Creek, uh, that would also fit into this uh, category of having multiple local community benefits uh, that range from environmental to, to economic and, and public health uh, as well. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the Marsh Creek Creek Greenway concept how you conceived of it and and, and a little bit about some of the specifics and it appears that Um, that project is getting a a, a closer look by the city of Sandy Springs and some of the citizens of uh, Sandy Springs, one organization, Sandy Springs, the Sandy Springs Environmental Project, in particular, really likes this project. And and it seems that there are some uh, city officials that agree uh, uh, it could be a really good thing in much the same way that your Heritage Park project in Warner Robins is being embraced by uh, Warner Robbins. Uh, it looks like the uh, Marsh Creek Greenway could be uh, embraced uh, by lots of folks. And uh, Tell us about how you conceived of it and uh, about some of the elements of that project.
2: Sure. Well, you know, University of Georgia, you have to do a final project undergrad, so th- there was a need for me to do a project. I reached out to... Linda Bain, uh, who was the director of the Sandy Springs Conservancy, she had some needs as well. The Sandy Springs Conservancy had some needs as well. And they identified this corridor as a need for something. They have, have some great assets, have this wonderful uh, place about it. it was, um, right next to it was a school, a tennis center, um, major corporate uh, UPS headquarters. You had all these assets around. Okay, how do we take, take the need with the assets and come up with a creative solution that ties all these things together. And so uh, through a process, through the process I learned in the landscape Bachelor of Landscape Architecture, I tried my best to come up with a solution um, discarding all the liabilities, turning all those liabilities of, oh, you know, it's swampy, it's, it's uh, overgrown vegetation, turning all those what were perceived as a liability and making that the asset that complemented all the other assets around it.
1: The fact that you would create a trail system or a path uh, through this greenway has even larger implications for being a part of a, uh, a community's multimodal transportation system for some. You know, if you're walking or biking. Um, to to work and, and and this project truly has that potential because at one end you have residential uh, areas at the other end you have more commercial properties, and in fact, uh, there are um, residential uh, multi use projects now slated for that other end so uh, you 'll have residents that can take advantage of the uh, the pathway all along uh, going in either direction east to west and I actually see that uh, it could be tied in with the uh, uh, the project that uh, is called the Abernathy Greenway, mm-hmm. uh, so that it is a larger project that transverses almost the entire east to west width of the uh, city of Sandy Springs. Uh, and I, I do want to give a tip of the hat to Linda Bain and the uh, the Sandy Springs Conservancy for uh, early on recognizing. Uh, the potential of this project. and I hope that uh, the Conservancy and the Sandy Springs Environmental Project people get together to help promote this uh, uh, within the city. Um, You had uh, mentioned uh, at one point, we had had a conversation before today's program, that the seeds for uh, such a concept may have begun and and were percolated from your uh, childhood days Uh, just enjoying uh, uh, traipsing through a a local creek. And was this the specific creek?
2: Uh, No, it wasn't the specific (laughs) creek, but it was a tributary to Chattahoochee or Nancy Creek. So, um, you know, I was a creek kid. I was the one that uh, got yelled at for muddying up his brand-new tennis shoes. Um, I was was always found on the creek, and I I enjoyed the forest. I enjoyed the, the big backyard in Sandy Springs.
1: Um, you know I, that's one thing that you and I share uh, I unfortunately didn't have the benefit of a creek um, uh, it was uh, uh, a, a back alley uh, in Los Angeles uh, that uh, when on those rare occasions it uh, it would rain a- 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 and uh, and the rain would last uh, for more than a few minutes uh, I was out there I found uh, pools to uh, uh, take uh, little model boats that i had a <laughs> uh, little world war ii uh, uh, models of uh, ships that i had and um, i was in the pools of water uh, and would have loved for it to have been uh, an actual uh, creek because i too have uh, always enjoyed uh, being in the outdoors and whenever i uh, uh, i camped uh particularly during my college years, I I would look at a topo map or, uh, you know, it was before the days of Google Maps, so I couldn't get good aerials Mm -hmm. uh, uh, or necessarily pull up uh, uh, site maps, Um, but I would would look uh, at uh, U.S. Geological Survey maps to find bodies of water, little creeks Tributaries off of larger rivers, and 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 that's those were the places that I would hike to to set up a, an overnight camp adjacent mm-hmm. to a little creek, a little babbling brook off of a larger uh, uh, flow of water, mm-hmm. and uh, and so those those spaces are near and dear to me. And and with this Marsh Creek project, you're talking about sort of opening up. Uh, and exposing the creek to, to folks that can just meander along the creek a real amenity a real aesthetic uh, environmental amenity uh, to uh, to a community uh, and uh, so I hope that that project uh, ha- has real legs um, I do want to ask you you know I, I I touched on the fact that you were uh um, the seeds may have been planted for the marsh creek as you put it when you were a creek kid Um, when was the first time that you became aware and even before you took the course in the quote-unquote built environment uh, at the university of georgia did you have a consciousness of of the built environment of the actual designed and built landscape any time before that
2: a lot of my residential clients will say my place makes me feel like something um and and i i empathize with that because very early on when i would go to um, a, a resort in phoenix arizona or or uh, hiking in new mexico i those places gave me a feeling and so i was very sensitive to to that feeling and i wanted I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to, and also the little engineering side of me is like I wanted to know how things worked. So, how did that pool work? How did that how did the trail system actually function? So, um, the master planning of all that all that it was all very fascinating to me. And so, um, the the discipline of landscape architecture gave me a lot of insight into not only what gives you those feelings, but then how do you give others those feelings or a directed feeling
1: when did you decide that uh landscape architecture could be a a path that you could pursue and become a professional in
2: oh, absolutely
1: no when when was it oh when yeah when was it that that that, that those was that uh in high school were no. you a freshman were you a sophomore
2: a sophomore in college I was uh, studying for a final. I was in I was in the major of education. I wanted to follow my father's footsteps. My father was a teacher, and so uh, it was three o'clock in the morning. I was taking a coke break, uh, drinking drinking coke, and I see one of my old classmates from high school, and he's out there taking a break, too, right outside the building at the University of Georgia. And what are you working on? Oh, uh, you know, he told me. I told him I'm studying for a test that I didn't want to take. And he told me with great excitement that he's building a model of a golf course. I just thought that was the most fantastic thing in the entire world. So I decided right then and there that I was going to do landscape architecture, that designing a golf course – sound like the most fun thing in the world. Never designed a golf course, but it introduced me to the world of landscape architecture and the excitement that it brought with it.
1: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm personally glad that uh, you did decide uh, to pursue a, a career in landscape architecture. Uh, uh, if you want to get in touch with Marla, you can go to uh, www.urbanag.com. Uh, is that correct? Urban Ag Inc. UrbanAgInc.com. www.urbanaginc.com. Um, We've been here with Mario Camberdella, a professional landscape architect. Mario, I want to thank you for coming on the program.
2: Absolutely. My pleasure.
1: You've been listening to the Business Hour here at America's Web Radio. We're on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on the radio next week.
0: This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.